Welcome everyone to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I am your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 12 of the 2023 podcast series, where we take a look at the draft eligible prospects and get you ready for the NFL draft. And I know it's been a minute since I've released content, been over a month. Look, there was a trip to California in there, uh, about with COVID, and then obviously the holidays just wrapped up. But we're back. I've been watching a ton of college football. When you take a look at the fact that we have 131 FBS programs, I've watched at least one game for all but just eight of those FBS programs. So you're talking about 123 FBS programs where I've watched at least one game. I've gotten a chance to see a lot of absolutely stellar play from a lot of individuals, a lot of guys that I'm really excited about, not just from the Power 5 conferences, but also Group of 5. I mean, if you watch some action in the middle of the week on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, that's really where they can showcase their game. But really, as we get into December, we know what this time of year is all about. We're getting into bowl season. Bowl season is one of my favorite times of year. You get to see a lot of different fun matchups, some of the different players getting showcased. Obviously, there are guys that will sit out due to uh, the NFL draft. But you know, And really, now the transfer portal as well. We're seeing a lot of guys already um, deciding that they're going to go ahead and put their name into the hat in the transfer portal. Really going to be a, a different type of year this season. And really, kind of a you know what to expect in, in the coming years as well. But right now, really, I think the focus should be on the college football playoff. And we've got four teams at the top right now. And we're going into the conference championships. Four teams win. They're going to be in. We've got Ohio State. We've got Alabama on the outside looking in right now. They're hoping for some chaos this weekend. Right now, obviously, we know we have Georgia at number one, Michigan at number two, TCU at number three, and USC moves into that number four spot after a big win over Notre Dame, Ohio State going down to Michigan, Caleb Williams. Look, we know that this kid is not even draft eligible yet. We're talking about next season. We're looking ahead to Drake May and J.J. McCarthy and Quinn Ewers doing battle with Caleb Williams to find out who that number one overall pick is going to be. And I'll tell you what, when you watch Caleb Williams play, though, there's a lot of, of Patrick Mahomes to him when you watch him play. It's, it's just it's exciting. He does things that not very many people can do, period. I don't care if you're in college, in, in the pros, the way that he's able to elude the rush, still keep his eyes down the field, and then the way that he's able to throw the ball effortlessly, whether it's rolling left, rolling right, it doesn't matter. That Those are the same attributes in the same way that I described Patrick Mahomes just a few years ago when he came out of Texas Tech. And I see Caleb Williams in that same light. And uh, you know, I'm really excited to see what he can do to close out the 2022 season, then obviously going into 2023 as well. Now with USC, I, I think when people talk about them, they're the most likely team to lose. Why? Because they're the one team that's lost to their opponent this weekend. So they're taking on Utah Friday, December 2nd. And as we're recording this, this is the morning of the 2nd. So we're actually getting into, hey, game day for the Trojans, Allegiant Stadium there in Las Vegas. And when we talk about the matchup, first we stay with the USC. We're talking about just the draft eligible prospects. Obviously, Jordan Addison is finally healthy. This is a guy, there's a lot of debate. 
Who is Jordan Addison? Is he a guy that can play on the outside? Is he solely stuck to the slot because of, of his smaller stature? Though he's not the biggest guy by any means, only 165, 170 pounds, very slight. But at the same time, he's got those long arms. Uh, kind of reminds you uh, of Devontae Smith in that mold. I see Jordan Addison as being a mid-first round pick. He can come off the board anywhere in that, that 10 to 12 range all the way back to about 20 to 25, uh, but the explosiveness is absolutely there. This is a guy that I think Trojan fans have been waiting for him to be turned loose now that he's 100%. You saw in that Stanford game his ability to get vertical. Corner catches up to him. He's able to maintain his balance and stay up on this spin move to break the tackle and continue into the end zone. His ability to make cuts without slowing down at all down the field. You know, it's not just a side-to-side -side cut. He's making cuts down the field and very explosive. The route running ability is, is off the charts. Look for Jordan Addison to have a big game there. But look, he's got Clark Phillips the third, the best corner uh, in the Pac-12 conference, a guy who has a great shot at that, that Jim Thorpe award as well. And uh, when you look at Clark Phillips, what this guy is able to do He's leading the leading the FBS in uh, interceptions, and what I love about Clark Phillips is just the the anticipation, right? You know his ability to to read the quarterback, understand the routes, understand what's going on in front of him, and then no wasted movement, driving on the football, and then once he arrives, he knows how to affect the catch point. He knows how to go up, make a play on the football. And look, he's not just a guy who's going up there looking to bat the ball down. He's looking to make a play on the ball. He's looking to intercept that pass. And look, he's a guy that could take the, take it to the house. Caleb Williams has to be careful. And when I look at Caleb Williams, I think the biggest thing that he needs to work on is being able to see the entire field. I think sometimes he's predetermined as to where he's going to go with the football. He'll really lock in on that primary receiver when he's in the pocket. When he moves out and he's rolling out, that's where he's at his most dangerous. And he's allowed to improvise, keep the eyes down the field, looking for a guy that's going to be open. But he needs to do a better job of just taking what the defense gives him. He wants to make the big play. He wants to extend the football down the field. And a lot of times he's got those open receivers underneath. If he tries to gamble, Clark Phillips is a guy that can make him pay. That's the matchup that I'm looking forward to seeing because we could seriously see that matchup in the NFL next season. And I'm really looking forward to that. Sticking with the Trojans, obviously we know Travis Dye, one of my favorite running backs in the country. We know that he's down to, to an injury, out for the year. This was really the emotional leader for that offense. But I'll tell you what, Austin Jones, the transfer from Stanford, He's really picked up where the Oregon transfer left off. And with Austin Jones, look, you know, the consummate professional, I think this is something that really speaks to, you know, this is a guy, he never gave up. He, he stuck, in, stuck with it, and when he got his time to shine, he really stepped up and has elevated his game. Over 140 yards there against Notre Dame, a guy that, you know, he hits the hole, continues with that leg drive, continues falling forward. I think that, Austin Jones is going to have to have another big game for the Trojans because, look, they can have that high-powered attack. They can throw the football down the field all they want, but if they're scoring in bunches and only taking a minute or so off the clock, that defense that has struggled, you put them out there against a physical Utah offense that's going to want to beat you up, 
you know, that could really play right into what Kyle Whittingham is going to want to do with Utah. So I think Austin Jones has to come up big again. Obviously, you've got the talented freshman, Relik Brown, the explosiveness there on, in the backfield as well. Darwin Barlow, the bigger back coming there, uh, the transfer from TCU. But I think Austin Jones is the guy that you have to really keep an eye on. And when you talk about him at the next level, you know, this is a guy, he could get drafted late. Um, you know, look, he's 5'10", 201. Uh, a guy who um, over 1,700 yards in his career on the ground, um, also has 84 receptions to his name, uh, over 600 yards on the ground for the Trojans, 17 receptions as well this season, and a guy that you can see the poise, you can see he's really a team-first guy, and when he was given the opportunity, he was able to excel. So this is a guy that has no problem in a, a running back by committee or understanding what his role is, he needs to work on that pass protection. That's really why there were stretches where we didn't see Austin Jones. We saw a lot of Travis die. Relic Brown started to kind of get pushed in there as well. But with Relic Brown, he also just that immaturity, a guy that's still a freshman. He wanted to dance a little bit. Austin Jones is a lot more decisive. Maybe a late round pick especially if he's able to really showcase what he could do in the Pac-12 championship and, and potentially if USC were to win in the actual playoff itself, that's where he can make a name for himself and really get into that 6th, 7th round conversation. I think right now he's probably on the outside looking in with a lot of talented running backs in this year's draft class, but there's a chance that we could see Austin Jones still drafted, uh, drafted late. So then when you talk about the Trojans, you're looking at that offensive line. And I'll tell you what, Josh Henson, to me, is USC's most valuable coach. I know that pro football focus a season ago was really high on USC's offensive line. But I'll tell you what, that line struggled uh, to really generate any push in the running game. You know, And I thought there were times there were stretches where they were very porous you know, with the passing attack as well. And really, you look at this line and Brett Nealon at that center spot, you know, holding down that, that point of attack. Nealon is one of the guys that I think has really developed nicely this season. 6'2, 295 pounds. Look, against Notre Dame, he would anchor and absorb the blow of the linebacker Maris Lufau coming downhill and would really hold that point of attack. You also love the fact that. You know, he's going up against a defensive tackle. He'll get driven back a little bit off of the bull rush, but then he's able to reset his feet, anchor and play with leverage. I, I think he does a good job climbing you know, against UCLA, climb to the goal line, gets a block on John John Vaughns along with Austin Jones, paving the way for Caleb Williams on a six-yard touchdown on a design quarterback draw. Um, inside zone, took the de defensive tackle, Drives him to the outside, allowing Austin Jones to plant and cut inside off of that for another six-yard touchdown. A lot of what USC likes to do, they have that movement with the offensive line. Brett Nealon is showing his ability to get out and move, locate his, his man under control, and really drive through his man, keep the feet moving, and then in pass protection, being able to anchor, absorb some of those bull rushes, and be able to set those feet, drop the weight, and be able to hold that point. I think Brett Nealon is one of the better centers in this year's draft class. Um, you know, he'll be a day three guy, probably in that sixth to seventh round range. But I think Brett Nealon has really pulled himself into being a draftable center that we can really be talking about. Justin Dietrich, right next to him, a guy that's played right guard and left guard, 6'2", 305. This is a guy that was pulling tractor trailers in the offseason. Incredibly strong. Um, you know, you see that at the point of attack. 
being able to anchor uh, against Stanford. That was one of the notes that I had, just constantly being able to hold that down. Um, you know, He and Brett Nealon getting a lot of push, a lot of leg drive, opening up some holes. Um, you know, very vocal leader. You know, this was a guy that, you know, pregame, a lot of the fiery, you know, nature. You're seeing 57 do that for the Trojans. He's another guy that I think could potentially sneak into the draft. More than likely is going to be a priority free agent. But, you know, I think after last season, I didn't even really have him on my radar as a guy that I would even be talking about at this point. I thought that he's really elevated his game this year and a guy that I'm really excited about to see what he could do. Can he at least make a practice squad next season? And then there's Andrew Voorhees, Mr. Consistency, number 72, 6'6", 320 pounds, a guy that's played tackle and guard for the Trojans, a guy that's battled some injuries you know, against Arizona. He, you know, There was an injury he wasn't able to play. Uh, even against Notre Dame, we saw him have to leave the game at a time. That was ultimately why they ended up having to kick Justin Dietrich over there to left guard. Um, but a guy, look, he's very athletic, climbs to the second level. Um, you know, Against Colorado, he pulled around to the right. Located uh, the edge rusher Guy Thomas, drove him six yards down the field. Once he gets his hands under that pad level, uses that leverage to his advantage, and that defensive tackle is not going anywhere. Very athletic as well. Um, you know, I, I thought some of his tape last year has been better at times. Um, but look, Voorhees, he's going to be a guy probably in that fourth round consideration. Might be able to slide into third round. But I'm thinking fourth round probably feels about comfortable for Andrew Voorhees at this point. But again, a guy that I'm definitely excited about there on the interior of that USC offensive line. Defensively, the guy that I will pound the table for time and time again is Tuli Tuipulotu. Now this is a guy, look, when you talk about Tuli, he's 6'4", 290 pounds. I've compared him to Cameron Jordan, who when he was at Cal back uh, you know, t- 2007 to t- 2010, he weighed in at right around 6'4", 287, and uh, the numbers uh, really speak for themselves. You see what Thule's been able to do so far this season, uh, 20 tackles for loss, 12 and a half sacks. He has 20 in his career, which is actually more than what Cam was able to do in his four seasons there at Berkeley, but... You know, I just the, the body type, the frame. I'm really curious to see just how long Thule's arms are, because that's really what is Cam Jordan's calling card, or those 35-inch arms. Also ran a 4.7840 at 6'4 and 287 pounds. What type of 40 are we going to see out of Thule? I think he's got a nice burst. Might be more in that 4.8549 range, but I'll be curious to see what that looks like when he gets to the combine. But look, you know, Thule's he's only a junior. Could he come back? Sure, but. To me, I, I think this is a fringe first round, early second round pick because he has that versatility to play with his hand in the dirt in a 4-3 scheme. He can kick inside and, and be a, a, a tackle as well. Um, you know, He could uh, be a, a five technique in an odd man front. Um, you know, He can play that, that four-eye lineup on the inside of the tackle as well. Um, you know, and Thule, look, you know, for SC, he's really lined up everywhere. He's been a stand-up rush end, rushing the passer. Um, he's also kind of played that linebacker spot, roaming around over the middle. I saw him against Notre Dame. Michael Mayer lined up in the slot. Thule gets out there on him and is jamming him at the top of his route, making sure that Michael Mayer really isn't going anywhere. Uh, once he ran into Big 49, he didn't move after that. So, you know, Thule... 
I think what makes him so special is the handwork, the hand usage. That's one of the things that you really say about a lot of the USC defensive linemen. You know, I think Sean Nua, the, the, the defensive line coach, has really helped Thule develop his game and really shine as a pass rusher because you see the speed, you see him bend. He's not the you know not the twitchiest guy by any means, but he can bend a little bit coming off the edge. Once he flattens out, he's relentless getting after the quarterback, but it's the hands. He's got the violent hands. You're going to see him chop down. You're going to see him rip through. You're going to see an arm over. He's going to attack you on the outside. He's going to come back to the inside. They've got Thule doing a little bit of everything there for the Trojans. He's the guy that really up front, if he gets to the quarterback and he's pressuring Cam Rising early and often, there's a reason why USC has so many turnovers. It's because they put pressure on the quarterback. Yes, they give a lot, give up a lot of yards. The back end has struggled. And when USC is not putting pressure on the quarterback, they're able to make plays, especially when they're spreading USC out. But at the same time, once they do put pressure on you, they are really good at affecting that quarterback, making him make bad throws. And when he does that, you're looking at a guy by the name of Makai Blackman there on the back end of that defense. And really with Makai Blackman, um, he'll probably be, be seeing a lot of uh, Devon Vele, uh, their, their outstanding junior uh, wide out. I think he's 6'4", 6'5", um, you know, a speedster there on the outside. And look, with Makai Blackman, it's his first year with the Trojans, was at, uh, at Colorado in Boulder uh, this season, having his best year, three interceptions, 10 pass breakups to go along with 52 tackles. And what I really like about Makai Blackman is, is his competitiveness. This is a guy that's going to go all out on the outside. Um, you know, he's going to compete for footballs. One of the things that you love is is the you know, really the ball skills. He's going to attack the football in the air. Um, you've seen quite a few where he's going to be making a play on that ball and, and attacking the football. Um, you know, outbreaking routes. He's looking to try to drive that guy out of bounds whenever possible if they leave his feet. I think he does a really good job uh, staying in stride uh, with his uh, his man. He'll look, locate the football, and try to make a play on the ball as well. Six foot, 175 pounds. Some people say that he's the best corner in the Pac-12. Look, Christian Gonzalez is going to be a first-round pick, may even be a top-10 pick when it's all said and done. Makai Blackman isn't on that level, but I think Makai Blackman has a chance to be a late two, early, uh, late late day two, early day three pick when it's all said and done. I think Makai Blackman's going to have to have a big day on the back end of that defense. Sophomore Kalen Bullock, four interceptions there uh, at that safety spot. He's a guy playing that center field. If Cam Rising gets under pressure by that front, look for Kalen Bullock over the top, showing that tremendous range. He'll be a guy, a safety that we'll be talking about for next year's draft, uh, you know, come the 2023 season. And, uh, you know, obviously then there's Shane Lee. And look, Shane Lee, he's six foot, 240 pounds. You know, he's, he's physical, he's muscular. You know, the transfer from Alabama, look, this was a guy, he stepped in for Dylan Moses when he went down to injury as a freshman, 86 tackles, six and a half going for loss, four and a half sacks, ends up getting injured himself, comes back, couldn't really find his way into the rotation, comes to USC, and look, 70 tackles, six and a half going for loss, two and a half sacks, a guy who plays very well coming downhill. I think that's really the biggest thing that you see out of Shane Lee. He can come downhill, no problem. You ask him to drop back into zone coverage, no problem. You know he, he was able to pick off a pass. You know, got into a throwing lane and and got depth 
Um, it was almost Tampa 2 style. You just saw him take off um, and, and dropping and, and making a, an interception. But if you ask him to cover tight ends or running backs out of the backfield, he is absolutely lost. To me, he's really a two-down linebacker. You know, If you want to send him on some blitzes, you can. But that really limits his, his, uh, his draft stock. I, I think you could get a, a very good special teams player out of him. A guy, again... He's got some good tools to work with, some instincts. Uh, you know, playing the run makes a lot of plays in the backfield, gets downhill in a hurry, but he's going to have to work on that, that coverage ability before you know we can really annoy Shane Lee at all as the guy that, that we, would, we would be considering in the first four rounds of the draft. Obviously, USC has the freak Eric Gentry, 6'6", and you know, a little over 200 pounds with a seven-foot wingspan, he's going to have his hands full because you have to figure he's going to be the one that's going to be asked to cover Dalton Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid, to me, is the clear-cut number two tight end in this year's draft. My apologies to Darnell Washington, but this is the guy that we're going to be seeing, seeing coming off the board after Michael Mayer. 6'4", 242 pounds, having a banner season, 66 catches, 850 yards, eight touchdowns, but it was that game, that first game against USC, they could not cover this guy. Now, you'll remember that that was also when Eric Gentry went down to his ankle injury and wasn't out there when Utah ultimately came back and beat them 43-42, but just reminder, 16 catches, 234 yards, and a touchdown. Whenever Cam Rising got in trouble... He was going to Dalton Kincaid. First down, Dalton Kincaid. Third down, Dalton Kincaid. He was literally everywhere. I think USC was seeing number 86 in their nightmares. He's going to be a very welcome addition at the next level, a safety valve, a security blanket. You know, Obviously, I can't compare him to Travis Kelsey, who's one of the best tight ends in the game, but you think about what he is for Patrick Mahomes. That's exactly what Kincaid is. For Cam Rising, and I could see him doing a similar, playing a similar role at the next level. Early second round pick, in my opinion, you're going to see him early and often. And uh, you know, the Trojans, if they want to beat Utah, they're going to have to find a way to slow him down. I know they're not going to be able to stop him, but can they slow him down? Now, obviously, we know that Tavion Thomas, his career is over at, at Utah. He's announced that he, he's going to go ahead and enter the draft. Had a toe injury that he sustained. So he's going to prepare for the draft. You know, you're talking about a big physical running back. That's definitely going to hurt uh, Utah on the ground. Obviously, they've got uh, Micah Bernard, you know, a running back who you know, he's doubled as, as a linebacker for them. We saw that in, in the Rose Bowl against Ohio State. He's played under the brightest of lights. But you know, look, with Tavion Thomas, 6'2", 221 pounds, a year removed from 1,100 yards and, and 21 touchdowns. This year, you know, through 10 games, just 687 yards on the ground, seven touchdowns. Really not much of a factor in, in the passing game. Tavion Thomas is going to have to show that he can be a, a, a pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, I look at Tavion Thomas, you know, I, I see him as, a, as an early to mid day three guy, I think probably in that fifth round range. He's a big physical dude, but you know, what is he going to be for, for these teams at the next level? You know, when you talk about Utah running backs, you know, obviously the first name that has to come to mind is Zach Moss, right? 
And so when you think of Zach Moss, he was a third-round pick. He was 5'9", 205, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, and uh, had 66 receptions in his career. So when, when you look at it, he had some of that versatility. He had that physicality, 38 touchdowns in his career as well, over 4,000 yards on the ground. Tavion Thomas, you know, you wonder if that 2021 season was that more of a fluke and really what you're getting is a guy who's more of an average running back between the tackles, physical presence, big back. You know, Really what I'd love to see him do is kind of slim down a little bit. I remember when Kareem Hunt was at Toledo, he came into the, the combine and really the, the all-star games, he had slimmed down and looked much more explosive. That's what I'd like to see from Tavion Thomas, You know, is really kind of elevate his game to the next level doing it that way. Um, you know, For Utah, obviously you're, you're also talking about Braden Daniels. The, the left tackle. And uh, Braden Daniels, to me, is a guy that I think is ultimately going to be a, a guard at the next level. Um, you know, the, the foot um, the foot speed on the outside, I think he struggles at times. Um, you know, when they played USC, beaten off the ball early by Tuli Pelotu, uh, got into the backfield very quick. Um, the other thing, too, that I see with Daniels is, um, you know, USC, uh, the nose tackle, Stanley Taufoal, um, you know, striking him to the chest, getting him off balance. You watched him against Oregon, though. Able to keep his feet under him, keep Brandon Dorless in front of him, use his hands, you know, that hand fighting, but that's where he gets himself into trouble. He's so confident with his hands that if he's got that power, as as I said with, with, with uh, Stanley there at SC, Dorless was able to use his hands to get him off balance, and that's where he struggles. That pad level will creep up. He'll start leaning and lunging. So he's got to work on that technique a little bit. You know, you watched him against UCLA when he had that wide base. He's able to anchor against the bull rush. I think the speed of the game at times, is. I think that's where he's going to struggle. I think ultimately he is going to kick inside to guard, um, but he's going to have to make sure that he keeps that pad level low. Otherwise, he's going to get pushed around quite a bit. I think – what Utah is going to want to do is they're going to want to run the ball. They're going to want to keep Caleb Williams and company off the field. And so they're going to be wanting to rely on that offensive line. Braden Daniels is going to have to come up huge. But then you're talking about Cam Rising. Look, only a junior, the Texas transfer, 6'2", 218 pounds. This is a guy you know, who he is what he is. He's a tough guy. He's a grinder. He's a guy that can, can make plays with his legs, extend plays, keep his eyes down the field. Um, you know, gritty. He's a gutty guy, but he's, he's not the best athlete in the, in the world by any means. Um, that arm strength is not great. It's good, but not great. Um, you know, this year, look, uh, 66% completion percentage over 2,600 yards, 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions, uh, decision-making at times, he will try to force it down the football field. Look, you know he's going to have back-to-back seasons with over 400 yards on the ground. So even though he's he's not the best athlete in the world, he's still productive and can get the job done. <clears throat> I, I, it's really going to be an interesting game. Can USC avenge its only loss? We know Caleb Williams and that explosive offense is going to want to move the football down, play with pace. Utah is going to want to slow the ball, slow things down, and really take advantage of picking that USC defense apart. Tui Pelotu up front, Shane Lee with the backers, Makai Blackman on the back end. You know, This is a game for them to really showcase their skills when we're talking about the draft. And that offensive line for USC, there are going to be moments where they're going to want to hold on to that football for a sustained five, six-minute drive. Brett Nelon, 
Andrew Voorhees, Justin Dietrich, and then the running back, Austin Jones. These are guys that can end up hearing their names called during the draft come April of next year with games like this. I think it's going to be an interesting contest. It's going to be very exciting to watch. I think it's going to come down to the wire yet again. Moving on from USC, we look at the number three team, and that's TCU. All three of the, the remaining teams are still undefeated. TCU going up against Kansas State. And look, it's a, you know there was a 38-28 game the first time these two teams met. Going at it this time in Jerry's world in Arlington, Texas. And I'll tell you what, TCU has a quarterback, one of my favorites in the draft, and that's Max Duggan. The reason why Max Duggan is such a favorite of mine is this is a guy who wasn't even a starter at the beginning of the season. Max Duggan, you know, he was benched and ultimately, due to an injury, gets thrust into the starting role and has never relinquished it. And the Horned Frogs, you know, are in the driver's seat, you know, they control their own destiny thanks in large part to the play of Max Duggan, a guy who could very well be be called to New York as a Heisman finalist. 6'2", 201, 66% completion percentage, over 3,000 yards through the air, 29 touchdowns, just three interceptions. He's a gutty gaming performer um, you know, on the ground. Over 1,700 yards in his career, 24 touchdowns, has just under 300 this year with five scores to his credit. And uh, you know Max Duggan, he doesn't have a huge arm, but uh, this is a guy, look, when he's under pressure, he's going to extend plays with his legs, keeps those eyes down the field, and, and he knows that he's got some big receivers. Savion Williams is 6'5", Quinton Johnston, the guy, the beast, a guy who I think could inch his way into that top 10. You know, he knows that he can put the ball up to those guys and they can make a play. You're going to see some anticipation out of him. You're going to see him put the ball, uh, the ball placement right up where they can climb the ladder, make a play, back shoulder throws as well. Um, you know, I love the fact that he's able to go through his progressions, find the open receiver, sees the entire field, will take what the defense gives him. But look, he's going to have to deal with a defense that's led by Felix Anadike Uzoma, the pass rusher extraordinaire for uh, the Wildcats. And with, with Felix, look, when you're looking at 91, he's an explosive guy coming off the edge, 6'3", 252 pounds. The junior, uh, 7.5 sacks this season after you know a stellar year where he put up 11 uh, the year prior. Had six forced fumbles as a sophomore added another two this season. And what you see with him is just really that explosive burst coming off the football. That's one of the things that's, I think, one of his calling cards. You know, he's going to beat the left tackle coming outside. But when he played against Kansas, you saw his ability to play the run as well, not just getting after the quarterback. You know, beats the tackle to the inside. They're trying to, to kind of slant towards the right. Actually gets out in front of that left tackle and nearly collared the running back. Ultimately wasn't able to drop him, but the linebacker was able to make a play on the football. You saw him setting the edge against the run. Gets up the field to the outside, forcing the running back, Devin Neal, to cut it back to the inside. Uses his hands to get off the, the left tackle's block. Drops the running back for no gain. Uh, against Oklahoma State, read the jet sweep. John Paul Richardson coming around. Was able to beat the left tackle there. Uses hands to get off that off that block. 
gets up the field, runs by the running back that's trying to block him there in space and able to drop that wide receiver in the backfield for a loss. You see him... He, he likes to lower that shoulder into uh, the tackles and guards at times to kind of drive them back with, with some of his bull rush, but then the explosiveness as well against Missouri. Dipping that inside shoulder, so quick turning the corner, flattens out and arrives at the quarterback in a hurry. So I, I think that's one of the things that I look at for Max Duggan. He's got to know where 91 is on the field at all times. I mentioned um, Austin Moore, and look, Austin Moore is only – a, you know, he's a redshirt junior. He'll come back next year. The high school wrestler. This is a guy that seems to be all over the field making plays. Um, an, an instinctive guy. Understands leverage. Um, you know, he's a very sure tackler in the open field. Six foot two fourteen. A little undersized at that linebacker spot. But look, you know, eighty two tackles, nine going for loss. Um, one and a half sacks. Has three pass breakups and interception to his name. You're gonna see him flying around sideline to sideline. That'll be number 41 um, in the purple and silver. Because I guess, you know, when you're talking about TCU, the silver and black. So it's going to be an all-purple affair uh, in this game. But then when you talk about TCU, obviously you're going to be talking about Quentin Johnson. You know, this is a guy who's battled some injuries, so he hasn't always been 100%. And we were waiting for Quentin Johnson, though, to break out. And boy, has this guy broken out in a big way. Um, really showcased, you know, everyone was waiting. Is this guy going to develop into the receiver everyone is expecting him to be? 6'4", 6'5", 193 pounds. Uh, uses that size to his advantage. I talked about Drake London, you know, how teams needed to really key in on him, game plan around him. They knew that he was going to get the football and they still couldn't stop him. Well, look at this. Against Kansas, 14 catches, 206 yards and a score. Follows that up against Oklahoma State. Eight catches for 180 yards and a touchdown as well. Um, you know, four straight games with a touchdown before going down to injury. Missed the Texas Tech game. Shows back up against uh, against the Longhorns. Three catches for 66 yards. That's 22 yards per reception on that day and a score. Uh, what you love about Quinton Johnson, he knows how to use that that size to his advantage. In that K-State game, went up against the safety. Outside release, shows that after eating up the cushion, then crosses the face of, of the safety, Josh Hayes, runs the post, gets vertical. Max uh, Duggan puts the ball just out of his reach on a diving diving attempt. So he wasn't able to haul in the pass, but you just see the route running ability. You see his ability to get vertical down the field, despite the fact that he's 6'4", moves very well, Duggan making sure with that touch to be able to drop it into the receiver. That's something that you're going to have to kind of keep an eye on a little bit. Uh, does a really good job forcing his way through through press coverage. Stutter runs through the jam, gets inside the corner on a slant, turns up the field. Uh, this is a guy, look, um, I, I really the, the matchup that I'm looking forward to is, is against Julius Brents. Uh, Julius Brents there for K-State. Uh, is a very big corner. He's 6'3", 6'4", 202 pounds. I think they said that he has like a 6'10 wingspan. This is a guy who, who's going to want to get up on you. Um, he's going to want to, uh, you know, he's instinctive, uses that, that length. And uh, even when he de- you know, doesn't turn around, he's reading the, the receiver, puts those those long arm, those long limbs up to affect the catch point, um, breaks Drives on the ball, not a whole lot of wasted movement as he's coming downhill. Can get a little handsy at times. Will get beaten. Um, so he's got to watch that a little bit. Um, but what you loved was there was a, there was a sluggo uh, against Kansas. 
the, the receiver, frankly, didn't really sell the, the slant on it, but was able to jump inside. You saw the change of direction to get back up the field on that double move right on the receiver hip pocket, uh, stride for stride with, with the receiver in the slot on another play after a jam on, on the line, stays right on the receiver hip, and the receiver gets that initial separation, but since he was right there, right on the hip, had that arm bar there, didn't affect the receiver, did not impede his progress at all, and then attacked the ball at the catch point, didn't even need to turn around, but it's one of those things at the next level, you're going to want to make sure you get that head on a swivel, get your head around, locate the football, want to see more of that out of Julius Brents, but I think that's going to be a matchup that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, that's for sure. Now, TCU can also run the ball, and when you're talking about that, you have to be talking about Kendra Miller. Now, Kendra Miller, he's a big physical back there for TCU, um, and really a, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, big number 33, six foot, 220 pounds. He's a junior, so he is draft eligible. Uh, this is a guy, the contact balance is ridiculous. Um, he's very slippery once he gets to the line of scrimmage, though. Um, you know, He'll run through arm tackles, gets to the second level. You're going to see him throw that stiff arm and then that speed down the field. Um, quick cuts up the field in a hurry. Doesn't lose a whole lot of speed there as well. But he's also patient, especially on those outside zones. Waits for those blockers to develop, then hits the hole downhill. I mentioned the blockers. Their top offensive line prospect is Steve Avila. 6'4", 330 pounds. This is a dude who is very stout at the point of attack. He's physical when he keeps that pad level down. Played center for him last year. They brought in um, you know, Alan Ali um, at it from SMU. Look, he played left tackle, right tackle, left guard, and center for the Mustangs. And uh, when he started there... Ultimately allowed Steve Avila to move over to left guard, and you know you'll see that the combo block, left tack or on the the defensive tackle, and then the linebacker springing Kendra Miller. I think you're going to see some of that movement to to Steve Avila. Good athleticism, pulling around, uh, but he wants to get really his game is about being physical. He wants to maul you, um, and once he gets his hands under the pad level, you're going to see him try to wash you down the line. He's going to drive you off the football, and he's also going to look to try to drive you into the ground. Um, he can anchor very well um, against Baylor, the edge rusher, Bryson Jackson. Tried to rush the passer up the middle. Avila was able to stand him up, neutralize that pass rush. Uh, so I think Avila is going to have to have a big game there going up against uh, you know some of these big defensive tackles there for K-State. Um, and when I look at when K-State has the football, obviously you have to be talking about Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn is the heart and soul of this team. Reminds everyone of Darren Sproles. He's only 5'6", 173 pounds, but the dude plays so much bigger than that size. The contact balance is ridiculous. This is a guy who knows how to hide behind those blockers before really springing into action. Uh, so yes, he is diminutive. But he's patient. He'll wait for his blockers, tries to hide behind those, and then explodes through the hole. Excellent power in his lower half. The core strength is ridiculous in this kid. The suddenness coupled with that, the ability to continue to uh, drive 
down the football field, extend plays because of that leg drive. Uh, but then such quick feet, the jump cuts, sidestepping defenders in the backfield. Uh, and then once he gets out into the open field, look against Kansas, had that 80-yard run, um, which was absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, Catches a screen pass at the 7, makes the catch, quick acceleration to the second level. Two defenders over pursue, able to cut it back to his left. They fly by to his right. Then he accelerates all the way down the field, picks up those 80 yards. This is a dude who is explosive, and despite that small size, you look at Tariq Cohen, he was able to carve out a niche there with the Bears. I think Deuce Vaughn is one of those guys. Darren Sproles as well. I think Deuce Vaughn finds a home at the next level. He's got to go to the right team, a right team that's going to be able to utilize him, but Deuce Vaughn is absolutely spectacular. He's explosive. He's going to be the key. If TCU can slow down Deuce Vaughn, force Will Howard, the quarterback, to beat you. He's not the guy that started the year for the Wildcats. It was Adrian Martinez who was having his best year by far at the collegiate level after playing there at Nebraska. Will Howard, 6'5", 235, a guy who's going to stand more in the pocket. So Deuce Vaughn is going to have to have a huge day to get things going, to be able to open up the passing game for the likes of Malik Knowles and uh, and Cade Warner, Kurt Warner's son. So I think that's going to be key. When you look at TCU, they've got obviously the 18-year-old there at nose tackle, uh, Demonic Williams. Kid is, is absolutely a beast. So quick off the ball despite the size. Uh, he's a playmaker there. But when you get to that linebacker spot, the, the heart and soul of that defense is going to be D. Winters. Uh, you know, Number 13, 6'1", 230 pounds. You see him flying to the football. The instincts, he reads, he reacts, he gets there in a hurry. He's able to play that sideline-to-sideline side ability. And uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to have to have a huge day. Wouldn't be surprised if we see double-digit tackles from him. 6'1", 223 pounds, 57 tackles on the year, 10.5 going for loss, 6.5 sacks. A guy that loves to play behind the line of scrimmage. You see that range playing sideline to sideline, as I mentioned. The the coverage ability, I think that's really where we want to see some improvement out of D. Winters. Um, you don't want to just be a, a two-down linebacker, um, but I, I think he does a really good job getting to the quarterback, affecting that, uh, you know, the, the throwing lane, getting his hands up to to to, uh, to knock the pass down, pressuring the quarterback while blitzing. Uh, D. Winters, to me, you know, is, is a guy that's going to have to have a huge day for the Horned Frogs. And then, obviously, there's LaDainian Tomlinson's uh, nephew, uh, Travis Hodges Tomlinson, 5'9", 177 pounds. He's not the biggest guy by any means, but this dude is going to compete. You know, he went up against 6'5", Wide out Jerram Bradley when they played Texas Tech. Physical at the line of scrimmage. Goes up and attacks the receiver's hands. That's one of the things that you love. Um, a lot of contact with his game. He's going to grab you a lot. Um, solely in contact mode at times. Doesn't always get his head around and locate the football. By the time he does, sometimes it's too late. So he'll, get, he'll draw some of those penalties. What you love about him is he, he wants to compete. He's going to come up. He's going to challenge you in, in run support. There was a game where he was able to... Uh, come downhill to set up a third and three, drop Deuce Vaughn in the open field for no gain. Like I said, physical, aggressive, has no problem playing press coverage, can get, you know, turn and run with the receiver. A lot of times they'll get inside release, they'll run a dig route, he's able to show little wasted movement, 
on that ball, on that cut, gets underneath the route to affect the catch. Uh, so to me, when I look at Travius, I, I think he's another guy, has to have a big day. Um, he'll be covering the likes of Malik Knowles. You know, really, K-State is going to be a, a team that wants to grind it out on the ground. Deuce Vaughn having a big day. So that passing attack is more a complimentary. So if you can really just take that away and force them to be one-dimensional, that's really where I think you're going to have them. And uh, look, 31 pass breakups, five interceptions in his career, including three interceptions this season. This is a guy that's that's going to want to, to make plays, and I'm going to be excited to see that. Look, TCU... They, they've got some safeties as well. they got three of them that uh, really there's four to five that kind of rotate, but but three that will start. Mark Perry, the, the transfer from Colorado, is probably the best of the bunch. Watch that de- that secondary, see if they can really – they'll probably get sucked up wanting to take, take away Deuce Vaughn as a runner. Will Howard, again, a guy that's going to have to have a huge day throwing the football, ultimately if K-State wants to get the win uh, because I think – the focus is going to be on Deuce Vaughn. You can't stop this kid. You can only hope to contain him. And look, you know, it was a 38-28 game, and Deuce Vaughn ultimately held under 100 yards, just 83 yards on the ground. Will Howard had had uh, 225 yards passing and a couple of touchdowns, had an interception. Uh, you know, Malik Knowles, number one receiver for him. And really, when you look at at uh, the the passing attack. They only completed 14 passes the entire game because a lot of the you know, their damage was going to be on the ground. Granted, Adrian Martinez, you know, he goes down to injury as well. I think we're going to be seeing a different K-State team because now you've got the the right guy that's leading it now um, on the back end, actually having some some time under his belt. When you look at what TCU did in the game, uh, Max Duggan very efficient, 17 to 26, 280 yards, three scores, no picks. But it was about Kendra Miller. 29 carries, 153 yards, two touchdowns. So that's really going to be the big thing. I mentioned Austin Moore has continued to get better. Daniel Green and uh, and Khalid Duke, you're going to have to have big games, guys. And then you look at, at the secondary, they got three, three safeties. You can expect them to come down, want to play in the box, stop the running game, which is when Max Duggan is going to beat you over the top, throwing to Quentin Johnston, Darius Davis, uh, Tay Barber, um, Savion Williams, and then they've got the tight ends as well. Jared uh, Jared Wiley's going to get into the attack into the attack a little bit as well. Um, I think at the end of the day, TCU is probably going to have a little bit too much firepower for K State. But look, if K State can grind it out, really um, you know put pressure on on Max Duggan. They can slow down the running game a little bit and uh, really play ball control and, and hold on to that football, you know, quite a bit. Then uh, I think they can make it interesting. I think at the end of the day, though, it's going to be all about TCU. You know, I think the Frogs get it done, punch their ticket to the CFP. Uh, then we move to to Michigan against Purdue. Um, you know, really quick talking about Purdue. I, I you know I I don't see a situation where Purdue has much of a chance in this game at all. Um, you know, the Big Ten West, you know, um, I was really looking forward to seeing what Illinois could do against Michigan. Uh, see Chase Brown, nation's leading rusher against that Michigan defense. Ultimately, that wasn't uh, wasn't to be. We're going to get Purdue instead. When you look at Purdue, obviously, you know, Aiden O'Connell has announced he will start the Big Ten Championship, playing with the heavy heart. You know, his, his brother, Sean, uh, passed away. 
and uh, obviously condolences to to Aiden and his family. And, and when you look at Aiden O'Connell, this is a guy. You know, he, he developed that chemistry with Charlie Jones, the receiver. But look, you know, I mean, they, they played together in high school. Six three, two hundred pounds. He's a, a career 66% completion percentage guy, um, over 3,000 yards for the second consecutive season, uh, 22 touchdowns, does have 11 picks, um, will get himself into trouble at times. You know, a guy that, look, he's, he's got four, you know, five 400-yard games under his belt. Um, he just he gambles at times. He doesn't always see the field. Um, you know, he's going to try to drop the ball in on a corner route against Minnesota. Use the touch to drop it in, but doesn't account for the safety. Jordan Howden playing over the top, able to get over and pick off the pass. Needed to actually put the ball on a line instead of using that touch to try to drop it over. Then that safety doesn't really make the play on the ball. But uh, he's, he's one of those quarterbacks to where I think he could be a, a late day three guy because he is um, such an intelligent quarterback. He's a guy that knows where to go with the football. Throw some nice deep balls. If you watch that game against Syracuse, you know with, with Charlie Jones, um, you, you saw him uh, being able to spread the football around. You like the fact that he goes through his progressions, takes what the defense is going to give him. Decent arm, not great, but a lot of those deep balls, putting the ball on the money. Um, ball placement though was inconsistent. Sometimes on those deep balls, they'd be a little underthrown. Sometimes they, you know, he put the ball too far to the inside, so that the receiver can't really make a play on the football. He's going to have to make sure that he is on point early and often for Purdue to make an impact. Now, when you look at the receivers, Charlie Jones, the Iowa transfer, six foot, one hundred eighty-eight pounds. As I mentioned, went to high school with Aiden O'Connell. These are guys that grew up together, so the chemistry is obviously going to be there. This is the guy. He's he's lightning quick, very sudden coming off the line. Excellent route runner. He's one of those guys that's very difficult to cover. Uh, in that Syracuse game, you know, he's beating Garrett Williams. You know, he's beating him deep on verticals, uh, gets an outside release. The ball, like I said, was thrown a little bit too far out in front of him, but you saw him being able to beat him. Um, come back round on the third and eight, out of his break with, with Garrett Williams on his back, elevates with the corner on his back, hauls it in for a 14-yard your 14-yard gain, you just love his ability to, to make that cut versus a, a top corner, able to create some separation late. Um, so I, I think Charlie Jones is going to have to have a huge day in this game if Purdue uh, wants to pull off the upset. And with Charlie Jones, look, this is a kid, um, 97 catches, over just under 1,200 yards and 12 touchdowns. He's going to get a look at the next level. I think Iowa, you know, they didn't really throw the ball to the receivers a whole lot. Purdue allowed him to be able to showcase what he can do, and I think as a, a possession receiver type of guy, he's going to be someone that teams are going to be excited to bring in into camp, and I think he's a guy that can end up making an NFL roster when it's all said and done. And then the tight end, Payne Durham. Look, you know they have Bryson Hopkins. I think Payne Durham fits in that same mold. 6'5", 255 yards. Two straight seasons with at least 45 receptions. This year, 54 for 550 yards, eight touchdowns. He's going to be that weapon over the middle for Aiden O'Connell, a bit of a, a you know, safety valve, if you will. He's a guy that I think is going to have to have a, a big day as well in that passing attack. Look, Aiden O'Connell is going to have to be sharp. He's going to have to make sure that he, he's not throwing any picks, um, and they've got to, to – Take advantage of any mishaps there by by J.J. McCarthy when he does throw the football. Because, look, Ohio State, 
They gambled at times, and they got their hand you know, caught in the cookie jar, and uh, Cornelius Johnson beats them on the outside. Really what they were looking to do was run the football. We know Blake Corum out for the year with the knee injury, the Heisman candidate. He's done. That that dude was just a, you know, just a bowling ball, and then once he gets out into space, he's going to run away from you. To me, he was one of the top three or four running backs in this draft class. I'll be curious to see if he decides to declare or if he comes back to Michigan. Um, you know, that's going to be one of those interesting things. They got some big guys in Purdue secondary. They got Cam Trice, who's 6'3", 219 pounds. You know, the the corner. Um, you know, against Minnesota, used the length to disrupt uh, a throw to the 6'7", 260-pound tight end, Brevin Spam Ford. They got Cam Allen, the safety, 6'1", 210 pounds. This is a dude who had a 65-yard pick six. Um, very intelligent player. So they've got some players there on the back end of the defense. Reese Taylor, uh, the Indiana transfer, he's a physical corner. He likes to hit, good ball skills. A guy that's gonna, you know, not afraid to come downhill um, in the running game as well. 5'11", 190 pounds. But really, it's going to be about that running game for Michigan, right? And uh, Donovan Edwards proved that he's he's a, a game um, running back for the Wolverines, even with Blake Corum being out. But it's going to start at that offensive line. And look, my, my favorite center in the game is Ola Sagan, Oluwatimi. And look, the, the Virginia transfer... You didn't think that the the Joe Moore Award winning offensive line could get any better. Then you throw in the 6'3", 307-pounder, and and this guy, look, he's physical at the point of attack against Ohio State. Man, he got his hands underneath the pad level of uh, Teron Vincent, the the defensive tackle, drops his anchor, drives his man down the field on his own read uh, to the outside, um, gets to the second level off the snap to seal off the linebacker Tommy Eichenberg allowing Donovan Edwards to take off on one of his 75-yard touchdowns uh, able to hook uh, you know Taron Vincent uh, and then the the right guard Zach Zinter who we'll talk about as well kicks out the linebacker opening up another hole en route to another touchdown run for, for Donovan Edwards this guy was paving the way I think he's going to end up being your Remington award winner when it's all said and done a Remington trophy award winner I should say um, so Zach Zinter the the guard he's only a saw or I'm sorry only a junior but you want to talk about a dude who's physical at the point of attack and a guy who's just going to win and beat you up he's 6'6", 320 pounds uh, does a really good job pulling around I thought he you know did a great job getting into Zach Harrison when he pulled nullifying that ability to chase down the the, the, the run from the backside uh, very physical the power in his hands against Penn State he, he strikes into the defensive end chop Robinson shoves him to the ground turns to his left shoves the defensive tackle Akeem Beeman just shoving him to the ground as well just throwing every guy everybody out of the club. This is a guy who's so physical at the point of attack. Pretty good athlete getting there on the outside as well. If he decides to come out, I think he's going to be one of the better guards um, in this year's draft class. Again, he's going to have to declare if he decides to do that. And then Ryan Hayes, the the tackle. Another guy who's a very, very sound at the point of attack. Um, he's, he's big. He's physical. He's 6'7", 305. Needs to watch you know the oversetting. He overset against Zach Harrison, who attacked that inside shoulder. Um, ended up getting to, to J.J. McCarthy, hit his arm as he tried to throw. Um, but, you know, the kickout blocks, I thought he did a great job uh, blocking on J.T. Tui Malowau. Um, you know, shooting those hands in and then being able to anchor, play with good leverage. That pad level at times wants to creep up a little bit. You know, really want to see that speed 
uh, as a pass rush, or I mean, as a pass protector, I think the rush at times would get a little bit, you know, overwhelm him at times. I think he's probably at his best playing right tackle, but a guy that I think could be a, an early day three pick and could be a guy that'll end up playing in the league for a long time over at that right tackle position. Now, defensively, you got Mike Morris. They're 6'6", 292 pounds. He leads Michigan in tackles for loss and sacks. You know He's physical at the point of attack. He's explosive coming off the edge. He's battled some injuries, so the health obviously is a concern. But look, 11 tackles for loss, 7.5 sacks. He's a guy that is, is looking to be a playmaker there for Michigan, and he's really the guy to keep an eye out for. Now, now Mozzie Smith, team captain, this is really an, an interesting situation with, with Mozzie because this is a guy who is facing a, weapon, a felony weapons charge. Um, you know that, That's obviously a concern. It was an October 7th incident. Um, child, uh, charges were filed on Wednesday, and it stemmed from an incident in Ann Arbor. Um, apparently, details of the incident, that was ultimately why it took nearly two months to file charges, according to the Detroit Free Press. Um, you know, The question really is going to be, what is going on with Mozzie Smith? Is he going to be playing? What's happening there? Um, you know, I think ultimately he's earned the, the the trust of Jim Harbaugh and his staff. What's going to happen there with the big man in the middle? Look, he's 6'3", 326 pounds. He's stout at the point of attack. He's a guy that's going to look to be disruptive um, against both the pass and the run. If he's not in the middle of the defense, they, they're very – uh, deep along the defensive front there at Michigan, but I think that'd be a huge loss if ultimately Mozzie doesn't play because of the, this this felony weapons charge that they're that they're looking at there for big number 58. Um, you know, at the, the the secondary, DJ Turner is going to be the the number one corner that's probably going to be tasked with dealing with with Charlie Jones. He's six foot, 181 pounds, and uh, you know, 15 pass breakups, three interceptions in his career uh, with the Wolverines. This is a guy, look, teams try to, to look to the other side of the field uh, because they really don't want to deal with DJ Turner. But then what you're running into a lot of times is the nickel, Mike Sainer still. Look, he was a receiver until this past season. You're kind of forced into, into that role, and now this is a guy that I think is going to get drafted pretty high um, you know, because of, of his skills. The ball skills are there, 5'10", 185 pounds. You see his leadership ability on the field. Four and a half tackles for loss to go with seven pass breakups. Also has a couple of sacks. Um, you love the physicality, and you, you love the instincts there on the outside. This guy was born to play that nickel role, and so I, I think ultimately you're going to see him um, get his name called at the next level when it's all said and done. When you look at it, I just think Purdue is going to be outclassed by Michigan. I think Michigan ends up rolling away with this one. Let Donovan Edwards just continue to run that football behind that that huge offensive line. I think they're going to end up being the Joe Moore Award winners yet again, which then takes us to Georgia sitting there at number one SEC championship game against LSU. Kind of lost the luster after LSU loses to Texas A&M. When you talk about Georgia, you have to talk about Stetson Bennett, a guy who I think is going to be a late day three pick. Look, I know he's small, 5'11", 190 pounds. Reminds me of Chase Daniel, a guy who's really carved out a niche for himself as a backup quarterback at the next level. Very efficient as a passer, 64% completion percentage in his career, 55 touchdowns, just 20 interceptions. Average arm strength, 
but a guy who is very intelligent. Um, you know, anticipation is, is one of his keys. Ball placement as well. Um, shows off some pretty decent athleticism. Uh, for a guy that I don't think people, you know, it's not really what he's known for. His leadership ability, you know, those are things that absolutely jump off the film when you watch him play. Um, Georgia's running back, I think, is one of the better backs in the country, and that's going to be um, Kenny McIntosh. I know that they've got, you know, um, Edwards and they've got Kendall Milton. They've got other guys there in the backfield, but it's going to be Ken- Kenny McIntosh that's going to kind of run the show, at least out of the gate. And what you love is is the patience. You know, that's really one of the themes that we've heard with a lot of these running backs is that patience, the ability to allow these running back, these blockers to set up the holes for these running backs. Excellent vision to see those cutback lanes. And then he has the burst to get down the field. Against Kentucky, he was able to show off some nimble feet, making these jump cuts in and out to avoid defenders, then get down the field, showing his ability to accelerate past defenders. Then he wants to lower that shoulder, run over guys, and show that that speed after that. That's what I love is that contact. He runs through through contact, and then he's able to continue to accelerate down the football field. 6'1", 210 pounds. I think Kenny McIntosh is the guy that will probably end up being in that third-round range. I think his hands um, kind of speak for themselves. Very uh, you know, very good and reliable receiver. 68 catches in his career. He's a lot of fun to watch. And look, you, know, you can't look at just the stats. You know, He only has 1,400 yards on the ground in his career. But, but Georgia loves to have that running back by committee. And we know how Georgia's running backs, James Cook, is just the latest. I think Kenny McIntosh is going to be a third-round pick. And he's going to be a darn good uh, running back there at the next level. At the receiver position, um, you know they're very young at that receiver spot. But Lab McConkey, the redshirt sophomore, he is draft eligible. Likely not going to be coming out. But this is a guy, look, he was a gunner um, down the ball at the one-yard line against Georgia Tech. But he has speed vertically. Excellent route runner. You know, I, I don't think he's going to declare for the draft. I think he'll come back for one more season, get to play with Brock Bowers, a, a guy who has a chance to end up being a top 10 pick at that tight end position, very special receiver at that tight end position. But there is another tight end. I mentioned him earlier in the podcast, and that's Darnell Washington. Looks like another offensive lineman out there at 6'7", 260, 265 pounds. Physical after the catch, tremendous wingspan. The catch radius is huge for this guy, uh, but you love the fact that he's improving as a blocker. He can be a, a lead blocker for those running backs, picking up the, the blocks there on the linebackers and the safety at the next level, second level. Can also block out on the outside, whether it's for Bowers or the receivers to to extend plays as well. Um, I, I think Darnell Washington is going to have a big game. Um, when you look at, at that offensive line, Broderick, Jones is a guy who's going to be a first-round pick. I think the fact that Olu Fashanu surprised everyone. I have Fashanu as a clear-cut top-10 pick if he were to come out. Decides he wants to come back at Penn State. Guys kind of shuffle a little bit now. I think Paris Johnson probably slides into that top-10 potentially. Peter Skaronsky probably going to be right in that range where Rashawn Slater was. After that, Broderick Jones is probably going to be the next Offensive lineman off the board, probably in that mid-teens, possibly into the 20s. But uh, very athletic, 6'4", 310 pounds. The redshirt sophomore bends very well. He can anchor against the bull rush. Very light on his feet. You know, I, I thought the one thing that was telling, though, you watched him against Georgia Tech. He was struggling to keep Keon White in front of him. 
you know, the, the defensive end would try to get those inside moves. You'd see him kind of reach and grab and bend at times. He actually got Keon White in a headlock on, on one play, wasn't called for a hold. Keon White's the guy that I think is going to be a problem at the next level. And when you look at LSU, they've got a couple of pass rushers. Uh, Ali Gay has, has kind of struggled at times. You know, you're expecting him to be a, a breakout performer, and that just hasn't really happened for him. I think his draft stock's kind of plummeted after a really a promising start to his career. Um, you know, just five tackles for loss, two and a half sacks. But it, it's really the, the play of the guy on the opposite side, and that's B.J. Ojolari. Big number 18, 6'3", 244 pounds. Tremendous length for this guy, though. 24 tackles for loss, 16 and a half sacks in his career. The motor never stops. This is a guy who's going to bend coming off the edge. He's always working to the quarterback. He's going to be a problem coming off the edge. Warren McClendon there on the left side is going to have his hands full um, you know, it, with, with Ojolari. Then you think about Harold Perkins. If Harold Perkins against Broderick Jones... That's the matchup I'm really looking forward to because Harold Perkins is a dude that everyone's excited to see him in a couple of years when he's draft eligible. That's going to be the matchup. What is Broderick Jones going to be able to do there? Can LSU put pressure on Stetson Bennett? You know, really get after the quarterback. You know, obviously they're going to want to. You know, uh, that offensive line is going to want to establish that that line of scrimmage and really. You know, it, force their will upon LSU. But the one thing that LSU has going for them is the fact that they have some physicality to them. Uh, Jacqueline Roy, the defensive tackle, is a guy that can be physical at the point of attack but also get up the field. But then you also have those edge rushers who are going to be a problem there for the Bulldogs. And then, look, when LSU has the football, I, I know what happened a week ago against AM, but when you look at what LSU was able to do against Bama, the 32-31 win, Jaden Daniels was efficient as a passer. I think Jaden Daniels is very inconsistent. Um, and he had a great day there against Bama. I think he's going to have to do the same against Georgia. You know, Georgia's had some of those opportunities, you know, has given up some of those opportunities. You know, there, there is some, some youth on that defense. They, they play a lot of guys, uh, a lot of young guys on that defense, though. A lot of guys that are starting to step up. Utilizing that receiving core, obviously Mason Taylor, Jason Taylor's son, the freshman, is going to be a, a fabulous tight end for them. Malik Neighbors and, and Keishon Bouti on the outside. Then that running game, getting physical with uh, with Bama, with, with Josh Williams and, and John Emery. And look, you know that ultimately that's kind of the same recipe that they should be taking against Georgia. Is uh, you know really wanting to allow Jaden Daniels to run the football and be able to uh, use those running backs as well. Keep that Georgia offense off the football field and let them let them go. Let them really start start um, establishing that line of scrimmage. I know it's easier said than done, but uh, you know, Jaden, if you're asking Jaden Daniels to be the guy, um, the inconsistency is absolutely. Look, I know he's 68% completion percentage on the year, 20 uh, over 2,500 yards, 15 touchdowns, just two interceptions. But you know the decision making, some of the ball placement at times can be a little questionable. But it, it's what he does on the on the with his legs that is so impressive. He'll get back to pass, and then he's got these long strides. It doesn't even look like he's moving very fast. Next thing you know, you look up and he's he's run the ball for 25 yards, 824 yards on the ground, 11 touchdowns. Um, you know he's going to be a guy that's going to be a problem there for Georgia. Keishon Bouti. 
this was a receiver coming into the season that I think everybody was expecting him to have a another stellar season. I think really the chemistry with him and Jaden Daniels just hasn't gotten to the level that we were expecting. You know, six foot, 190 pounds, the junior. Look, you know, absolutely dominant with the ball in his hands uh, a, a season ago. This is a guy who was attacking the football well down the field, um, and really he's not really asked to stretch the defense. And look, this was a guy who in his last game as a freshman against Mississippi, 14 catches, 308 yards, and three touchdowns. Absolutely ridiculous. But he's never really risen to that level of play as a as a sophomore or a junior. You know, he only played in six games his sophomore season. Last game there was in October. Uh, had two 100-yard games in that season, and then 2022 hits. And honestly, we just we haven't seen a whole lot. You know, he's had uh, started to come on of late. Did have a 100-yard game against Florida. Um, had three games in the last six where he's caught at least five passes. Um, but, you know, I'm really wanting to see more out of Keishon Bouti. I thought a lot of the body language that we saw during the, the first part of the season where he and Jaden Daniels weren't on the same page, that was a little bit concerning as well. You know, but you wonder if, you know, you look at Derek Stingley, another LSU Tiger, didn't really live up to the hype after his freshman season in terms of some of that productivity didn't matter by the time he got to the NFL this kid was balling out can we expect something similar there for Keishon Bouti for this game against Georgia I don't know that it's going to matter too much you know I, I just I I think if LSU is going to get it done it's going to be really weighing heavily on that running game getting Josh Williams and John Emery established to go along with Jaden Daniels then being able to play action pass, zone reads, things like that. And then that'll open up some of the uh, situational passing for LSU if they want to try to take down Georgia. And obviously we know Georgia's got a top five uh, defender there on that defensive line. Jalen Carter is a man among boys at, at times. You know, if you watch that game against Oregon, just taking poor uh, Malasala Amave Laulu and just took his shoulder with his hand and just kind of shoved him aside before dropping the running back for no gain. Uh, just so physical off the ball. But you know, you see him firing quickly. The speed to power gets into the chest of that offensive line, uses those hands to get off the block, and then will get to the quarterback or get to the ball carrier. He's going to close that, close that space. He's going to want to muscle you. He's going to want to bench press you, create some space after that, and be able to, after he's driven you into the backfield, affect the play in that way. Sometimes getting his man uh, to take away a hole for, for that running back allows some of those linebackers to, to make plays as well. He, he's pretty scheme versatile too. He's a guy that kind of lines up all over the line, 6'3", 310 pounds. You know, I'm, I think Detroit, I think Seattle. You know, right now those are two teams that look to have uh, top five picks. I think they're going to absolutely be eyeing Jalen Carter when it's all said and done. You put him there in the middle of that defense, I think he can be really a wrecking ball and be a force there against that 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 run and uh, getting after the quarterback a little bit as well. Just going to have to be careful because if you, you get to Jaden Daniels, 
You're forcing him. He's at his best when he's leaving the pocket. So you're going to have to make sure that if you are putting pressure on him, that you're keeping him there, that you're keeping contain. Um, and that's going to really be, you know, rely on a lot of those younger linebackers there on the outside. Keely Ringo, he's going to be tasked with, with dealing with, with Malik Neighbors and uh, Keishon Bouti, 6'2", 210 pounds, the redshirt sophomore. Look, there are times where this guy looks absolutely phenomenal. You know, you see him getting, you know, running stride for stride, stride with the receiver after the jam. Um, run, you know, just ultimately sometimes runs the route better than the receivers. You know, gets his head around the look, the lean, getting over the top of routes. Um, you know, he's physical, wanting to, to affect that. You know, their back shoulder throws were his body position. He's able to still challenge the football at the at the catch point. No real separation a lot of times, um, but he does get himself into trouble. Um, you know, he does get picked on at times, and that's really because I think teams know that he's out on an island all by himself. So there are times where Ringo gets beat, ends up having to grab, hold, uh, and get called for defensive pass interference at times. Um, there are times where, you know, he doesn't always get his head around to locate the football in time. Um, I, I think, you know, it, Coming downhill, you know, especially against Cedric Tillman, he would fly out of control, and Tillman would end up breaking the arm tackle and getting down the field for extra yards. He's got to play within himself. This guy's one of the best corners in college football for a reason. He can run stride for stride with virtually any wide receiver in college football. He's just got to make sure that he stays within himself and, uh, you know, He'll misjudge a ball from time time to time. He'll get caught with his eyes in the backfield at times. Other times, he won't get his head around at all to locate the football. We'll, we'll do so late, and sometimes we'll get a little handsy. But this dude's playing out on a, on an island for a reason. Um, you know, I, I think Keishon Bouti, if you line up against Ringo, he's going to have some opportunities. He's going to have to take advantage of it because I don't think uh, he's going to want to give up too many of those. Um, Chris, Christopher Smith, the safety, I think he's he's really had an exceptional year. Um, and obviously I think that shows when you look at, at some of the awards and the award shows um, where uh, Christopher, Christopher Smith is, is getting some of the accolades. I think it's the Nagurski Award that he's a finalist for. And, you know, it's well-deserved. You know, this guy is really the leader of the back end of that defense. And what I really like about, um, about Christopher Smith is, is just you know the savviness. You know this is a guy that understands what he's seeing in front of him. Um, you're not going to see a ton of wasted movement. He's not going to um, bite on on some of the fakes. You know he's he's a guy that's just he's going to play smart. He's going to play within himself. And uh, like I said, he, he's a lot of fun to watch on the back end. Keep an eye on 29 if you want to see where the football is going to end up going. He's only 5'10", 185 pounds, so he's not the biggest guy by any means. But he'll fly downhill drop uh, the running back or, or the quarterback uh, for a tackle for loss. Um, you're going to see him blitz off the edge. Um, you know, So times the blitzes very well. Like I said, runs the alley, does a really good job there, um, reads the quarterback's eyes, excellent anticipation, ends up jumping, jumping routes, making plays on the football. And really when you look at Christopher Smith's stats – and I know stats don't always tell the story. You're going to have to watch the tape and everything. Everyone's going to say that. Yes, I get that. When you look at the stats, the stats tell tell the story as well. 47 tackles, four for loss, a sack, two interceptions, 
five pass breakups, and a fumble recovery. You know, this is a guy that's going to be making plays all over the field, and he's going to have to do that uh, against the, this LSU offense. You know, he's going to have to come downhill, challenge Jaden Daniels. You've got a couple of physical running backs in, in Williams and John Emery. And then on the back end, being able to help out some of those those, those corners and be able to show off his ability to cover at times as well. Um, but look, he's, he's a playmaker. He's a guy that I think is one of the better safeties in the draft. Could he come off the board um, late day two, possibly? Um, likely, you know, late day two, early day three. Um, but he's going to be an intelligent player who could end up starting early in his NFL career. So I think when it's all said and done, uh, I think the undefeated teams will stay undefeated. That USC-Utah uh, game is really going to be interesting. Which defense is going to show up for USC? Is a guy like Eric Gentry going to be the difference? You know that that offense, Caleb Williams, they're going to be explosive. They're going to want to put up points against Utah. Can they play ball control? Can they grind it out on, on the ground, keep their defense off the field at times? And are they going to be able to find defensively to find a way to stop Dalton Kincaid and really Devon Valley as well? The fact that, that Tavion Thomas isn't there, you know, that takes away from the running game. But Micah Bernard is an accomplished back in his own right. He's the guy that I, I think they have to make sure that uh, they're not just playing the pass, that they're able to stuff the run, make them one-dimensional. But they tried to make him one-dimensional when they played Utah the last time. USC was up, and Dalton Kincaid happened. So that's really going to be the biggest thing. What can Alex Grinch do to stop Dalton Kincaid? It's going to be a fun game. I honestly don't know who's going to win. I'm a Trojan alum. I'm going to be pulling for the Trojans. Can they get it done? I think they absolutely can. They, they can avenge their only loss. But, man, you give Kyle Whittingham time to scheme against you. You know, not only will that defense be fired up and ready to go, Clark Phillips is going to be itching to get a, a pick six. But then offensively, you know, Cam Rising and Dalton Kincaid, they want to hang another 16 reception for over 200 yards on the Trojans yet again and play spoiler. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And that's going to be the first game of the weekend. We'll be talking about that game. We're going to be talking about what we saw from our draft eligible prospects in addition to really all of the conference championships. You know, the other ones that we're going to have to see on Friday, UTSA taking on North Texas. UTSA, Zachary Franklin, an NFL receiver, catching passes from Frank Harris, a guy who has a chance to make an NFL roster because I think he has that skill set as a passer and a guy that can do a lot with his legs. You've got Toledo against Ohio, uh, in the MAC championship, and, and with Toledo, really the guy that I'm most excited to look forward, you know, and most excited to see is the 6'3", 250-pound edge rusher Jamal Hines, number 91, 21 and a half sacks, 46 tackles for loss in his career. A, a guy that just knows how to make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He also has 16 pass breakups as well. He's athletic coming off the edge. He's not just a one-trick pony though. Like I said, he's going to want to get his hands in the passing lane. He's going to want to make plays behind the line of scrimmage against the run as well. A lot of fun to watch there. Be interested to see what he can do. Yes, we've got another quarterback with the last name of Rourke at Ohio. Curtis Rourke, 6'3", 211 pounds. Look, his brother 
Nathan was more of the runner. This is a kid, look, 69% completion percentage, 25 touchdowns, just four interceptions. The junior, he'll be a guy that you know really want to see what he can do in 2023 uh, to be talking about next year's draft class. Going to be interesting to see what uh, Curtis Rourke can do, one of those group of five quarterbacks that we're really looking forward to. I think this will be a game that can really start helping build some of that moment, momentum into next year for the Bobcats. Sunbelt Championship. This is going to be a fun game if everybody plays. That's really going to be the biggest thing. This is going to be played in, in Veterans Memorial Stadium in Troy, Alabama. Coastal Carolina, the big question mark is going to be whether or not Grayson McCall, the Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year, is going to be on the football field. Now, that's really going to be the big question mark. You know, he, He's battled injuries. He didn't play uh, last week. James Madison really rolled over uh, Coastal Carolina. That's going to be the big worry there for the Chanticleers. Can this kid play? Um, he's a fourth-year junior, so he could absolutely come back and play for for the Chants uh, in, in 2023. Um, you know, it might behoove him to do that. It needs to really show that that arm strength. Can he build upon that? Because this kid, the anticipation, the athleticism, his ability to, you know, he just doesn't make mistakes. Has seven interceptions in his career. 21 touchdowns, one interception, 207.6 QBR. I mean, it's, it was absolutely ridiculous a season ago, but nearly 69% completion percentage uh, this past season, and a guy who has over 1,000 yards on the ground and 15 touchdowns. Grayson McCall, to me, um, is a guy, he's a gamer, 6'3", 210. He's going to be a, a mid-day three pick right now, um, if I were to venture to guess. You know, I think he's the guy that would benefit from coming back to school for one more season. Um, you know, but it's going to be interesting to see exactly where how all of that plays out. Then you look at Troy, and uh, you know, Carlton Marshall is a is a kid who's just absolutely special. He's undersized. He's five nine, two hundred and ten pounds, but the Sun Belt uh, Defensive Player of the Year is a guy that just he flies around to the football. Um, he's a Burlesworth Trophy uh, finalist. Uh, along with Aiden O'Connell and Stetson Bennett, started his career as a walk-on, and he's leaving Troy. I mean, just look at this. 555 tackles, four straight seasons with at least 110 tackles. 50.5 tackles for loss, 10.5 sacks, six interceptions, nine pass breakups, eight forced fumbles, and a partridge in a pear tree. This dude does it all for the Troy Trojans. Uh, And I think, you know, with Grayson McCall out there, I think you could say that Coastal Carolina likely wins this ball game, but without him, I think that really levels the playing field. Then you get to uh, the American and the American Athletic Conference. You've got UCF taking on Tulane, uh, the number 18 Green Wave, and this is a team that's led by their standout running back, Tajay Spears. Over 1,100 yards on the ground, 14 touchdowns to go along with 20 receptions. And this is a guy, look, he's a a junior, but he's decided that he's going to declare for the draft. And he's going to the Senior Bowl because he's he's a guy that's graduated already, so he falls into that category. And look, Tajay Spears, if you haven't gotten to watch him play yet, he, he's really a lot of fun to watch at that running back position. Look, um, you went into that Cincinnati game, five straight games with over 120 yards. Um, you know, he's, he's good, uh, out of the backfield, really soft hands, but you love the feet, very quick feet to, to bounce it outside of the lateral cuts to get inside and then outside and back inside the vision between the tackles to see a lane. Then that lateral cut 
bouncing it, getting it to the outside or hitting hitting that hole. Very patient for getting downhill as well. Um, Tajay Spears, if Tulane wants to win, number 22 has to have another big game, and I'm expecting him to do that there against UCF. UCF is going to want to throw the football all around the yard. I mean, we know what Gus Malzahn is going to want to do. Um, that offense can be high-powered and explosive. Defensively, the guy that I'm going to be watching for, though, is is Jason Johnson, um, the f- number 15, the inside linebacker, 6'2", 224 pounds, a guy who is, is instinctive, has 114 tackles on the year. He's a guy that's going to be playing sideline to sideline. He's going to be tasked with taking on Tajay, Char- uh, Tajay Spears. And at the end of the day, if he can't slow down Spears, then I think Tulane ends up walking away with the win and is likely going to represent the group of five in the New Year's Six Bowls. Moving on from there, you got Fresno State and Boise State. After the way the, the season started with, with Boise State, I, I think you know the fact that they are sitting there in, in this conversation, um, you know, I, I think you have to be excited for the Broncos. And um, you know, with, with with Boise, I think the the, the best draft prospect is going to be their safety. J.L. Skinner has 59 tackles on the year, four interceptions. He's big. He's physical. He's 6'4", 218 pounds. You're going to be wanting to keep an eye on him on the back end of the defense. Offensively, you know they've got Talon Green, the, the, the quarterback, a guy who makes plays both through the air and on the ground. George Halani, a 1,000-yard rusher for, for Boise State. But I'll tell you, you know the fact that Fresno State after what happened to their quarterback, Jake Hayner, to start out the season. Um, the fact that they are back in the Mountain West Conference Championship, I think that speaks a lot to the coaching of Jeff Tedford. And when it comes down to it with the team, they had a 7-1 conference record. And uh, you know, with Jake Hayner, you, know, you, you feel for the, for the guy. Once he got back out onto the football field, I think this was a much different team. And when you look at, at, at Hayner, obviously he goes down against USC, has the struggles there, and then you know doesn't play again until the 29th of October. And in those games, they went five and zero. Oh. This is a guy 73% completion percentage on the year, over 2,400 yards, 17 touchdowns, just three interceptions. It was six one, one ninety five. He's not the biggest guy by any means, but Jake Hayner, he's gutty. He's a gamer. He knows where to go with the football. He's a tremendous leader. He was playing very well uh, against USC before he went down to the injury. He's a guy to keep an eye out for with, with Fresno State. I think Fresno State ends up winning this game. I think Boise, they, they've got a lot of momentum there, but I, I think Fresno State, they've just been clicking on all cylinders especially ever since they got their quarterback um, back in the fold. And then David Perales on defense for the Bulldogs. He's number 99, 6'3", 246. He was a problem against USC. He was getting to the quarterback, um, you know, making th- life miserable for Caleb Williams. Um, 45 tackles, 15 going for loss, 10.5 sacks. He's got 37 tackles for loss and 22 sacks in three seasons there at Fresno State, the senior He's a guy, look, he's just, he's relentless. He's always going to be fighting, getting after the quarterback. He's not a guy who's overly bendy by any means, but he uses his hands very well. Um, he, he's got a nice slap and rip, and uh, you know, he'll, he'll attack you with the bull rush a, as well. This is a guy that I think is is going to have to continue to put pressure on Taylor Green. It's easier said than done, but I think Fresno State, 
man, you can't count Jake Hayner out. I mean, we saw that against UCLA a season ago. Jake Hayner, to me, is a guy that's going to be a late day three pick. He's a gutty dude. I think he'll he'll play a while in the NFL. Just and I think he'll actually get a few starts under his belt. He can end up being the next Taylor Heineke um, when it when it's all said and done. A backup quarterback who could absolutely step in and be your starter for portions of the season if needed due to injury. So after that Fresno game, the Fresno State game, um, you've got the the night game, which is going to be Michigan and Purdue, and then Clemson, North Carolina. Clemson, obviously, you've got DJ Uyunglele. The question is, is is he going to transfer out of Clemson or not? There's rumors that he may try to move out west to play with his brother, um, who's a five-star defensive lineman out of out of St. John Bosco, where where the two went to school. Um, when you talk about Clemson, you know the question really, you know, for me is is Brian Brissy going to be playing? I know this is a guy that's just you know. He's been hit with the injury bug. I know that there was the death in the family, his, his sister that was battling cancer as well. Um, there's a lot that, that has happened to this poor kid this season, and uh, you really want to see him go out on a high note, win an ACC championship. You want to see him do it out on the field. It was 6'5", 300. It was explosive getting up the field. It can be very disruptive. Um, excellent hands at the point of attack. Um, needs to watch that pad level at times. It'll creep up and it'll get him into trouble. But this is a guy, look, he's going to be physical. He's going to play with leverage. But then he's also going to beat you at the point of attack. He's going to look to beat the beat the block, especially on those inside zones, and get inside, cross the face of the, of the offensive lineman, get into the backfield, and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He's very disruptive. I think Clemson's a hell of a lot better when they actually have Brian Brissett in the game. Miles Murphy on the outside there, 6'5", 275 pounds. We know that Miles Murphy's going to be a freak of nature at the Combine. Um, you know, I'm curious to see where he's going to test. But uh, 36 tackles for loss, 18 and a half sacks in his career. And with, with Miles Murphy, you love the hands. You know, I saw him play against Syracuse. Drives both of his hands into the chest of the left tackle. Drives him back until he's just past the quarterback. Frees that left hand. Disengages with his right. Works back to Garrett Schrader for the sack. Um, this is a guy that you know. I think not only is he using the hands, he has the speed as well. Um, you know, against Florida State, he absolutely worked over uh, Robert Scott. Really already had his hips kind of flipped off the snap, attacks that outside shoulder, speed rush getting right around. Use those hands to clear a little bit, close down in a hurry, gets to Jordan Travis for a sack there. And he was just doing that time and time again. What you really loved was his ability to get up the field and chase down Zay Flowers um, on an end around, dropping him for a loss of two yards when they played Boston College. He's a menace. He's going to be uh, very difficult to deal with there for uh, for the Tar Heels. K.J. Henry, 6'4", 255. He's going to be a speed rusher there coming off the edge as well. Uh, Tyler Davis on the inside, 6'2", 300. Biggest thing for for this line is just staying healthy. If they can do that, they're really going to be um, tremendous there against UNC. Trenton Simpson, 6'3", 225, not quite on the level of Isaiah Simmons, but a guy who I think could end up being a first-round pick because he does a little bit of everything. He has the speed coming off the edge as a pass rusher. Ben coming off the edge, has tremendous range, sideline to sideline, uh, can drop into coverage as well, um, gets after the passer, gets his hand in throwing lanes, um, 21 and a half tackles for loss, 
13 sacks, five pass breakups, three forced fumbles in his career. Keep an eye out for number 22. Drake May is going to have to know where he is on the field at all times. Same with Jeremiah Trotter Jr. This is a guy that always seems to be in the passing lane. Um, you know, really made life miserable for Spencer Rattler when they played North, uh, South Carolina. Um, ultimately, um, Rattler was trying to hit a receiver up the seam, and um, you know the eyes ultimately allowed Trotter to go over there and make a play on it. But look, Drake May is a special quarterback. We're going to be talking about him next year as a guy that's going to be competing with Caleb Williams to be that number one quarterback taken and the first overall pick in the draft. 6'5", 220 pounds, over 67% completion percentage, 3,800 yards through the air, 35 touchdowns, just five interceptions, 629 yards on the ground. He's got a tremendous NFL arm, can make all the throws already, and the decision-making, the anticipation. This is a legit uh, NFL prospect. And uh, Josh Downs, look, he's only 5'10", 180 pounds, but you see the suddenness, you love the route running ability, the speed to get deep. He's he's really the the weapon on the outside for Drake May that he absolutely loves. And this past season, 83 catches, 929 yards, and 11 scores, four downs. He'll go over 1,000 yards after the ACC championship. And, and look, he'll be back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons. This is a guy who I think, you know, could be a late first rounder, but likely is going to be a uh, an early second round pick. But I, I think any NFL quarterback who ends up with Josh Downs on their roster is going to be excited because they're going to have a legit vertical threat, a guy who knows how to get open and then make plays after the catch. Um, up front for them, you know, Asim Richards, he's going to be drawing the task of having to deal with KJ Henry and. Miles Murphy, I think he gets quick out of his stance. You know, I thought he did a really good job sliding with Drake Thomas when they played against NC State. You saw him patient. Um, he wait for the spin move back inside. Slides able to pick that up very well. Um, you know, I, I thought that he did a good job anchoring. Um, he's not overly physical in the running game, but he's a dude that even when his hands get slapped away, he resets his hands in a hurry. Seam Richards is one of those tackles that people aren't talking about, but I think he can be a guy that could be a starter at the next level. 6'4", 315 pounds. This will be a game to really showcase what he can do. Uh, defensively, You know, I, I think this secondary with, with Tony Grimes and, and Storm Duck, two junior corners, they could have a big day really affecting uh, DJ Uyangalale, you know, DJ, we know he's had an up and down career, um, you know, especially this season. Um, you know, he's had some some really stellar games. Uh, other games, he he's just he's kind of almost looked lost at times. And, and you know, King, uh, Cole Klubnik would have to come in and, and bail him out. Um, you know, I'm, that's the one part that I'm worried about. There, they may have to stick to the ground game. Will Shipley, um, you know, a, a kid who's going to be in that conversation for one of the top running backs in next year's draft class. Um, but the, the guy's blocking for him, Jordan McFadden. Look, you know, McFadden is not the biggest guy by any means, but uh, he, he's proven that he, he's got the uh, the foot speed. You know, he's proven that he can anchor a little bit as well. And um, he's the guy that I think is going to end up being a day three pick, could end up playing tackle or guard at the next level. I think a lot of people have him slated to be a guard, and you know I, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I think that's kind of where I see him potentially having to play. Um, 
One other guy, you know, if, he, if he's healthy, the, the tight end there for Clemson, he's a junior, Davis Allen, 6'6", 250 pounds. He's a weapon up the seam. He's athletic. All DJ has to do is put the ball up in the air and allow Davis Man, or Davis Allen to adjust to the football in the air, can contort his body to make some catches, uh, really a large catch radius. Um, so he's a guy to be on the lookout for as well. Um, I think it's going to be a fun game. It's it's going to be an explosive game. I think we're going to see a lot of points scored. Um, you know, Don't be surprised if NC State pulls a stunner. If so, then that's going to start off the, the conversation about Drake May for next year's draft class. Can he unseat Caleb Williams, who I think right now is probably the odds-on favorite to be the number one overall pick in next year's draft cycle? It's going to be a fun conversation to have for sure. You know, it's kind of the conversation we've had this year with with Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. So, you know, it's always fun when we have quarterbacks that we can talk about at the top of the draft. So we're going to know after this week who's going to be playing in the college football playoff. I think everybody feels that Georgia, Michigan, TCU should all be punching their tickets. The question is going to be whether or not USC can get it done. And even if TCU may lose to K-State, they could still be in because they'd still have that one loss. It's in the conference championship. The fact that they've lost some of those close games, you know, Ohio State's ugly loss there against Michigan, how's that going to factor in the fact that Bama has two losses? You don't see them jumping TCU or Ohio State um, you know, really the, the, what's going to happen is, is if TCU and USC lose, I think that could potentially pave the way for both Ohio State and Alabama. You know, it's really going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, if chalk holds up, then you'd be looking at potentially USC against Georgia, Michigan taking on TCU. Some very interesting matchups there. We'll be talking more about that, but really want to get into talking about the draft eligible prospects more than anything else. And then We'll get into the bowl matchups. That's really going to be a fun conversation over the next couple of weeks before the bowl season kicks off. Really talking about the guys to keep an eye out for. At least one player on every single team going to a bowl game that you're going to want to watch out for during bowl season. So we'll go ahead and wrap things up for the podcast for now. This has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your weekend. Conference championships, it's going to be a lot of fun. We will know who will be playing in the college football playoff by the end of the weekend. So enjoy your weekend of college football. We'll talk soon. Until next time, I am out of here.